This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Check this out. It is free. No, I'm serious. It's free, 100%. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor then distributes that podcast for you, and you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from that podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. We are back on Lauer After Hours. This is Mike Ryan Fan Account, and today we are joined by Chris Whittingham. How are you, buddy? Doing good. I'm admiring the Zoom room that is filled with people who have identified themselves by their Twitter ads. It's just lovely. Chris, thank you so much for uh, for joining us tonight. Uh, this is at Beat Count on Twitter. Uh, and tonight we have the pleasure of talking to Chris Whittingham about all things soccer. Welcome in, Chris. Thanks a lot. Yeah, happy to do it, guys. Yeah, awesome. Uh, Chris, you are um, a producer and co-host on Chelsea Miked Up. You are, correct me if I'm wrong, the Miami Dolphins radio network pregame and halftime uh, broadcaster, and you also do play-by-play for USL, NWSL, and CONCACAF. Is that is that right? That is correct. I was actually just doing a USL broadcast before I uh, jumped on this call. I also do uh, Inter-Miami's radio broadcast. So they do uh, radio-style broadcasts for their website and app, and uh, they're back on Saturday. That's awesome. That's, that's, that's fantastic news. Um, so listen, we're going to kind of get into this. Um, today... Uh, we just finished up the semifinals for the UEFA Champions League. Uh, Bayern just took on uh, Lyon uh, and really had that game in hand from the from the get-go there, 3-0. Um, they are going to be taking on uh, Paris Saint-Germain, PSG, uh, in the finals on Sunday. Um, PSG, they have been very, very stingy with their defense pretty much this entire tournament. They've only allowed five goals the entire tournament. And they're going up against Bayern, who has put up 42 goals uh, throughout the, the, whole, the whole tournament. Um, talk us through you know, kind of what you predict is going to be happening here. Yeah, I, I just am a strong believer in team versus individuals. Uh, and when you look at Bayern Munich, the way that they've gone through this Champions League run, uh, you mentioned their goal-scoring record. It's absolutely incredible. I mean, they're the best-ever team in the Champions League in terms of goals scored per game. And then I, I, I do understand the argument for Paris Saint-Germain, which is, of course, they have Mbappe, they have Neymar, they have Angel Di Maria, who is just an exceptional player. But uh, I just think that everything behind them isn't quite strong enough uh, to kind of 
be sustainable against Bayern Munich. They're going to have chances and they will probably score goals. I, I, I definitely think that Mbappe running it behind the high line of Bayern will have a chance, but I just feel like Bayern have been the strongest team in the tournament. If you're looking back on this Champions League, this has been Bayern Munich's Champions League. They have the 8-2 over Barcelona, the 7-2 over Spurs, and I just imagine that they this is theirs to win. Yeah, yeah, and you know, coupled in with the fact that they have yet to need anything more than full time is is kind of kind of awesome, right? Um, do you see them having any trouble with PSG uh, on Sunday? I do. I, I, I to me. It, the the tactical dynamic, not to get too nerdy, but uh, Bayern play this incredibly high pressing style. All their defenders are on the halfway line, and one ball over the top into Kylian Mbappe, and all of a sudden they're away. And so I imagine that PSG will have their chances, just as we saw Lyon have their chances today. Uh, we saw Barcelona even before they got hammered eight two. There was a moment in the game where it felt like they could have uh, gone in front, um, but I I just think that. Bayern just create too much. They're too relentless. Even as even if PSG do score goals, I think Bayern can score more. They just have such an incredible uh, scoring return, and their front four is just amazing. They have a Canadian player, Alfonso Davies, their left back, who has just been superb in this tournament and is drawing so many headlines around the world. I just think their overall strength is greater than PSG's, but I, they can definitely have trouble, and they can definitely lose the game just because they're going against such sensational individuals on the other side, whether it's Neymar, Di Maria, or Mbappe, but I just think Bayern have more. Yeah, speaking of one thing that they have more, they have, you know, Lewandowski who has 15 goals this tournament. I mean, how many more do you think he has in him this uh this coming weekend? I mean, 55 in all competitions for the season. This is a player uh that had, was talked about being washed or the, you know just in general, the minute a player in at a major European club turns 30, there's just this thought that he's all of a sudden going to fall off it and is not deserving of that level. I mean, I was today reminded of uh, thinking about after uh, Lewandowski gets scored, that he was linked with a move to MLS last April. Last April, so what, 16 months ago. And it was like, all right, it's time for him to make his move to Chicago because uh, his, his career at big clubs is, isn't going to happen anymore. And then goes and scores 55 goals in a season for Bayern Munich. So uh, I definitely think he can be involved, although today he actually missed a couple of sitters. He had a, he had a couple of great opportunities that he probably should have tucked away. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is a this is the best center forward in the world. If there, if the award wasn't canceled on account of COVID, this is probably your Ballon d'Or winner as well. So of course uh, a a huge threat uh, to, to score a goal and probably two in this match against PSG. Yeah. Um, I'm going to switch gears here a little bit and kind of talk about kind of a, a bad spot for you and me both uh, personally, uh, Man City. Uh, getting kind of hosed with the uh, the VAR on that offside, not called. Um, was UEFA just kind of getting back at them because they uh, they got skated on? Yeah, you know my my whole theory. By the way, I'm I'm neutral because if you listen to Chelsea Mike Top, you know that I'm neutral. I don't I don't really support any Premier League clubs. But if I did, uh, I I thought it was an offside. But my feeling about it, just in sports in general, is if you need a referee's decision to go your way, you didn't play well enough. That's like the Jimmy, the Jimmy Johnson maxim from uh, their game against Notre Dame back in the eighties is don't rely on the refs. And I was so frustrated with how Man City played in that game and set up tactically and what they were doing, uh, just respecting Leon way too much and playing to not get countered. It's like they're, 
seventh in league one. Like, what are you afraid of? Uh, Raheem Sterling's miss obviously is another one that has to be tucked away. Um, but I, I, I rarely am a guy who complains about the refs and I, I won't do it for that one either. Yeah, that was a, that was definitely a tough one to watch. And with uh, COVID happening and taking away that really the, the second leg, I I'm sure that kind of played into some of those tactics as well. Um, cool. Well, we're going to switch it up here a little bit. I'm going to pass it around here to, uh, to some of these awesome faces that you have staring back at you. Um, every single one of uh, our Lauer Rangers here have come with a question uh, for you specifically today, Chris. So thanks a lot for your time here. I'm going to pass it off first here to, uh, to Steve, Steve. Can I, can I, just, can I, I apologize for interrupting you, Steve, but if you guys have show, cause I know obviously this is a, a podcast that at least was born, at least in part of fan of the Dan Levitard show. Like I started my radio career with those guys and I work with them a lot. So if you have show specific questions, I, I can answer those as well. I, I feel like similar to how in the show, Mike will sometimes speed through soccer talk because he feels like he's boring the audience. Like I, I, I don't want to bore the audience either. No, that's, that's a point of this one. So it's all good, man. Okay, cool. Not to be boring, but just to, to talk soccer. <laughs> all right. So, uh, First of all, again, just thanks for uh, joining us. So I'm completely new to soccer this year. Um, I picked Chelsea because of Pulisic having American. So just a big fan of Chelsea mic'd up, want to say that. You guys do a great job of kind of speaking in a way that even I can understand, which has made watching the games a lot more enjoyable because I actually know players' names. I know what's going on. Um, so I just wanted to thank you for that. But then speaking of players' names, what is your all-time favorite soccer player's name to pronounce? I know you're really good at that. Man, there's so many good ones. Um so there's a few randos, right? Just because I've done uh, lower league games and just like, you know, NASL and all these different leagues. Um, there's currently a player for, generally they involve Frenchness. Let's be real. I love pronouncing French names. Inter-Miami just signed Blaise Matuidi. I really enjoy saying that. Uh, there's a player for Montreal Impact. The name is Zachary Broguillard, which I really, I, I enjoy saying that. Um, but the first name that I was introduced to that I fell in love with, I even announced that I wanted to name a potential child of mine after this player is Bastian Schweinsteiger, the German legend and player for Chicago Fire and Bayern Munich. Oh, you're just talking about Bayern Munich, but Bastian Schweinsteiger is just a gorgeous name. And I, I wanted to name my kid Bastian. I don't know if I'm actually going to live up to that, but I just think it's a fantastic first name. Perfect. Thank you, man. Can you do it as Nigel? Oh, mate. I mean, if you want, if you want me to start talking football, in an English accent, I can absolutely do that if you like. Bastian Schweinsteiger is an absolutely sublime central midfielder. Cracking play, can charge in the penalty area and score bags of goals for you if you like. He's got that distribution. He's just a lovely footballer. Good on you, mate. So, Chris, we're going to need Nigel to show up for the rest of the pod. I'm just going to no. put that out here right now. Here's the thing, though. <laughs> Let me tell you another secret. So, Mike who obviously I call this Chelsea mic'd up with, hates my English accent. He's never said it, but he always rolls his eyes to me whenever I do it. And the funny thing was, is we went together to London uh, to meet with some figures from the club. We did interviews and stuff. And uh, we were having beers and we had had enough beers to where I think, uh, I think the guys from Chelsea were doing American accents. They were kind of like making fun of us in our accent. So I was like, would you guys mind if I did mine? And they thought that the accent was good. And it's like the worst, it's the worst day of Mike's life because it's like, it has given me the confidence to carry on and continue with the terrible accent. I, I don't think it's terrible, but I, I just watched a lot of football. So 
No, it is it is on point. And you and I are brothers from another mother because I like to have a, a couple of adult beverages and <laughs> knock around a few accents as well. So yeah, you you, you and me we're we're good there. Fair enough. All right. Uh, next up tonight, we have Ant, Ant in Brooklyn. What do you got? Hey, Chris. Thanks for joining us. Um, I'm going to rep some Syria offer moment and change the subject slightly. Um, first, your Lewandowski take by winning the Bayern Dior is, is garbage. It's Chiro. 36 goals, tying Aguim for most in Syria. Ah, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, I wanted to get your opinion on, on Juve hiring uh, Pilo. And mostly because a lot of, you know, stars, which I would consider him one, don't really do good across sports as managers because, you know, no one can live up to how good they could do it by just being naturally talented and they don't necessarily always work out. So I want to get your opinion on that and what you thought about that hire. Well, it's an interestingly growing trend in European soccer at the moment. It really started with Guardiola, to be fair, and he was just such a success. Uh, But it didn't really catch on until... Zidane when it did it for Real Madrid and then he won three Champions Leagues and now everyone wants to get their club legend of choice uh obviously Manchester United with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer although that was an interim it turned into a permanent and then Chelsea with Frank Lampard so when you look at that group of four it's a pretty sizably mixed bag so you don't really know uh whether this is going to work I guess there is just an aspect of Juve probably going for a cheaper option here they could have gone and Sign Mauricio, uh, Mauricio Pochettino, who I think is a much better manager, obviously, just given the pedigree. Andrea Pirlo's only experiences as a manager of the reserve team at Juventus for nine days. I guess those must have been the best nine days in the history of management. But um, obviously, Pirlo is just such a player who you can see how he would his skill set on the field would translate into success as a manager because his whole thing was, I'm not the best athlete, but I read the game and I pick passes better than anybody else. So maybe sometimes athletes struggle to transmit their preternatural abilities as an athlete, but Pirlo was never that. So you'd imagine as a tactician, he could teach the game well, but we really don't know. I guess what you can't say, you can't rule out that he'll be successful because other managers without experience have been successful as ex-players. So um, I'm not ruling out that he'll be a, a success at Juventus, but it is a bizarre choice given that it's such a big club that can basically pick from a bunch of talented, available managers. And also, I feel like you've set yourself up because you've picked one of your stars, one of your beloved. How long of a rope can you give them? Is a yeah. is a year too is enough? Is two years? And like, at what point do they just say we have? If if it doesn't go well, at what point do they have to cut a cord and sort of piss off the fans that they've gotten rid of one of their beloved? But and that hasn't really happened yet with these big legends yet. We haven't really seen. You know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been kind of been he's been under pressure a little bit, but. Uh, I don't think at any point the club is ever really going to to, to fire him. So you, you don't know when that moment. Zidane kind of left on his own terms. Guardiola left on his own terms. So that, that is a very interesting point. If they struggle this year like they struggled last year, then you kind of can't really make an argument for him to stay. Um, but I, I we haven't really seen that at, a, at the highest level just yet. And I also think had they won their last match, you know – are they even looking for a manager necessarily? I mean, obviously, you know, there's a lot of pressure at Juve being, you know, a big club and trying to rep, you know, in champions. But right, right, thanks, Chris. They won nine Serie A titles and they haven't won the Champions League in, in, since 96, I don't think. So yes. that, that's definitely the holy grail for them. All right. Back to you, Beep. Thanks, Ant. Appreciate it. Next up, we got Lou. Lou Rafter. What do you got for Chris? Hello. Hello, Lou. Hey, so 
naming Feinsteiger, that was my favorite name to say when on their win to, it was so much like he just like that whole year was so great. Um, I, I do have a, a soccer question, but now that I know you're a big Levitard fan, uh, what's your favorite uh, moment from the show um, that you can describe? Okay, so I, I don't think anyone would remember this, but I was kind of, I was tangentially involved. So that's why it was, it's such a delight to me. So there was, a, there was an interview that the show had with Michael Wilbon. And this was back in the old studio. This is before they moved to South Beach when, when I was interning for them. And um, they had Michael Wilbon on and it was a very, his phone line was very tinny. It sounded like he was in a bathroom. That's really, it sounded like he was in a bathroom with marble. And so uh, we were like, just the entire time, like, is he doing this interview from the bathroom? Like, what's happening here? And so I, we tracked down a toilet flushing sound, which is the most radio thing ever. And then uh, it was my responsibility to take the toilet flushing sound. And there's a thing that you can do in audio editing software where you make things sound like a phone call. And so you take the toilet flushing sound, run it through this effect. And I got it into the board just in time to, at the end of the interview, they played the sound of the toilet flushing with the phone sound effect. And I guess Michael Wilbon didn't notice they carried on, but in the commercial break, the entire control room <laughs> erupted in laughter from how funny this moment was. Um, so it was my bitter production. There are actually a couple of things that I still hear that I was involved with. I was involved with the sound, the production for the sound of Stugatz was right. Uh, so that sound, like I, I contributed a bits to that. Uh, so there's just like little moments that like I was a part of that that stick out in my mind. But I mean, there's so many just like fall over in the back. I mean, some of the funny, funniest moments are off air too. Like they used to send me out for snack runs and to get chicken wings to show. Like there's all there's all kinds of of, of hilarity there as well. So so you're the reason why Wilbaum hates Stugatz. <laughs> I I don't I, I don't think that's the reason. There are other reasons there, but. Uh, yeah, I, that, that interview, I don't even know if he remembers that or if anyone else remembers that, but I just <laughs> in the room and dying laughing. Well, anyway, my, my soccer question is, so, uh, I've grown up and I play a lot of soccer in my life and I always want the men's team to be good. I always want the men's team to be as good as the women's team. And, uh, I, I don't know how long it's going to take, but I was curious if you think that we can reach that level, let's say like LeBron James, instead of growing up playing basketball, LeBron James for a young kid went to play soccer and just like how good LeBron James could be or those type of athletes would be if they grew up in what they do in Europe with the club leagues and just grooming the absolute best talent. Cause our best talent goes to football, baseball, you know, and basketball, not to soccer. Right. This is a, a fairly common uh, question and theme uh, when we talk about uh, soccer in this country. So I, I do kind of look at it from, uh, from multiple perspectives. One is, is that, I mean, LeBron James is too tall to be a good soccer player. I mean, that, that's just the reality of it. He's at six foot nine. You just can't be a good soccer player unless you're a goalkeeper. And even then, I think the tallest, you know, active goalkeeper is probably six foot seven. So uh, you're just kind of chucking out a bunch of players. But there are definitely, let's say, a class of wide receivers, running backs that aren't tall or big enough to play, you know, Division One college football that could make the switch now. I do think there is just a difference between growing up with the ball at your feet from six years old and just constantly like becoming familiar with it and just developing that touch that Neymar has. I mean, you see what Neymar does in just making defenders look silly. 
And I don't think you can learn that if you change to the sport at 15 years old and go and play in college. That's, that's, you know, there's another thing too. We shouldn't develop players by sending them to college. That's so antithetical to the American experience. Uh, so you have that. Um, you also, I, I do think that there's an element of, yeah, if Russell Westbrook played soccer from age five, he'd be incredible. But uh, I, I do think that's a, it's a counterfactual that's difficult uh, to, to understand. So there, I kind of gave you a word salad there, but I, I don't think it's just as simple as an athleticism thing. And the other thing too is, is that, I mean, the traditional way with, with which we measure athleticism, jumping ability, quickness, pace, or, or, or overall frontline speed are not necessarily the kinds of athleticism that work in soccer. It's about balance. It's about quickness. It's about kind of a dexterity that, that is a bit different than the traditional athleticism that, that we measure in the other sports. So I don't think it's that simple. And yet I do think that if someone like Rajon Rondo was a holding midfielder, I think he could kill it. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Chris. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a great point. You know, we don't really grow a lot of talent, but you look at guys like, uh, like uh, Steve mentioned, you know, Christian Pulisic, I mean, he's really, you know, the probably the greatest soccer player that we've seen in this generation, you know, from the United States. So, And, and also, uh, American clubs are starting to get it right. I was uh, doing a game earlier, earlier tonight between um, the club called Fort Lauderdale CF and North Texas SC. Uh, they're kind of the developmental teams for Inter-Miami and FC Dallas in Major League Soccer. And none of them are basically playing players over the age of 20. It's all players. There's, you know, tonight a 15-year-old scored for Fort Lauderdale. And, like, th that, that's the kind of age at which players in Europe, if you make an impression, you do so at 15, 16, 17. When here, like, that's when you're on your way towards getting into college, never mind uh, into the professional game. So I do think kind of the standards by which we are measuring players is heading in the right direction. But that's this is generational change that we're talking about. Um, and MLS's academy system in, in earnest is like 15 years old. So we're only going to just start to see the fruits of it. And look, Tyler Adams is playing really well for Red Bull Leipzig as well. Uh, there are other American players coming through the pipeline, but uh, I don't think it's just as simple as, you know, picking out athletes. It's about systemically, can you get it right? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Actually, I'm going to pass it over here to uh, Guillermo Mafia. He, he's, he's got kind of a follow-up on this. Uh, what's up, Chris? Uh, Renee here, Guillermo Mafia. Um, my, my question was kind of a perfect follow-up to this. Um, for those that are kind of new to soccer, um, for new listeners here that might not be into soccer, can you kind of explain some of the differences between European academy systems versus like the American college system? And do you think that would ever be effective here? Do you think that would ever like even be functional? Understanding the lock that colleges have on money and the need for that, anything yeah, I mean, it's it's already starting to happen. Like, for example, I just mentioned Tyler Adams for Red Bull Leipzig. Didn't go to college. He came through in the Red Bull system. And it's really hard. Like, you see clubs or, or players that, you know, play in MLS at 16, 17, 18. And you kind of have to see the pipeline because they're going to get a college scholarship. And often, I mean, you see players that go to college for one year just so that maybe they can kind of bookmark it and come back to a college and say, we'll let you finish your your schooling here. But it is a, it is a real risk because – so much of sports here is centered around the collegiate game and it's such a great fallback. If you have your degree that it's really hard to say to a player, Hey, you're not going to make it unless you go play as a professional at age 18. Right. And, and forego college and you have to, you have to go for it. And if you fail, what do you fall back on? And that ultimately is what happens in a lot of countries around the world, but you're starting to see it. You're starting to see players that sign full contracts that are getting MLS minutes uh, very quickly 
And um, that ultimately is the goal that those are the players that have the best future because look, there are some players that come out of college and actually do well in MLS, but they're increasingly becoming a rarity and they're increasingly becoming diamonds in the rough that you don't expect. Uh, but you look at the full men's national team now and this generation of players that are coming through Gio Reyna didn't go to college. He went, he went, went through the NYCFC Academy and is now starting some games at Borussia Dortmund. Um, these are the promising players. They don't play in college. Um, so I do think it's starting to happen, but that's a significant cultural change. And it's a lot to say to parents as well, because parents play a role. How do you say to the parent of a 16-year-old, hey, I think it's a bad idea if your kid goes to college? I mean, that's, it's a hard one. And baseball players do it, um, but it's generally not in the culture here, um, especially with American football and basketball. How does it generally work? Let's say if you're a star at age seven and like Liverpool is looking at you, how does, are, are the families taken care of out there in Europe? Is it more than just a school scholarship? What's compensation look like when it's that young? Yeah. I mean, there's a little bit, but the, the thing is, is that as you move up the levels, I mean, there's competition. And so you do see young players, 16, 17 year olds at big clubs that are on real money that are on like adult living wage money. And right. uh, it, of incredible that you know they kind of become the breadwinners and there's real difficult dynamics with them and their families um but yeah i think ultimately it's the competition between the clubs that fuels the money and i think that'll be an interesting thing that'll eventually happen here in this country right now there isn't really competition at that level for academy level players unless you're signing them to full contracts because mls have these rules where you get control of the youth players in your region right so like if you're born in miami you can't go and play for another club and sign a homegrown contract unless Miami lets you. Miami would have to let you go and do that. So um, that kind of limits the scope of it a little bit, but the competition is at such a level that, yeah, kids get a lot of money. I mean, Callum Hudson-Odoi for Chelsea um, played, I think he might've started seven or eight games, but because Bayern Munich came in for him at 18 years old, he signed a deal that hasn't paid somewhere in the neighborhood of five and a half to six million pounds a year despite a very limited experience. So this is, it's, it's a largely based off the competition that there is between clubs. Awesome. Thanks for your feedback. All right. Uh, next up, we got Mike Ryan fan account. Good evening, Chris. What DP, if you were King for a day, would you choose for inter Miami on that third slot? And you had a budget, maybe 10, 12 million, which by the way, would make that player MLS's richest player. Um, my personal preference as things stands at the moment would be Luis Suarez. Um, I just think that given how Barcelona have, flail, have flailed out of the Champions League, given that I still think he has a lot to offer. He's not as quick and as mobile, but I just I, I, I get really annoyed when people who watch Luis Suarez play for Barcelona and lose to Bayern Munich, it's like, well, he sucks now. No, he doesn't suck. He just can't play at the very highest level. Like, that is the highest of the highest level of the game. Um, but... Look, Luis Suarez right now, uh, according to reports, makes around $17, $18 million a year. So he would have to take a pay cut to come to Inter-Miami or come to MLS. Although I imagine there's some marketing opportunities there that can help him kind of fill that gap. Um, But I think he's the the player right now in the world that makes the most sense. Um, If you're really going crazy, uh, Lionel Messi might be available, but I I doubt he'd he'd come to MLS now. Um, But uh, yeah, I think Suarez is probably the most likely uh, given the available options. Um, if you're talking about like the thing is that it's so hard to figure out who's available, right? Like who's at a stage that wants to come to MLS is the answer actually more of a player like Carlos Vela, who's a decent player at a medium level club, but comes to MLS and lights the league on fire. So I don't know if, if that is more of a likely option 
Um, but of the famous guys, so to speak, I'd, I'd probably go for Suarez right now. Excellent. I think I think Marcelo Clore alone's good for for twelve million a year. He's doing uh, doing deals with Sprint. Yeah. So uh, my follow up question to that is what. Uh, soccer team mascot would you pick to take on Velociraptors in the game of soccer? <laughs> um, well, since you mentioned Veloc- uh, Velociraptors, the only mascot that I know to be from a similar animal group is Gunnersaurus at Arsenal. So I'd probably go for him. Uh, he, he would make the most sense. I don't know what Gunnersaurus would be like as a football player, but he would probably make the most sense to at least counteract Velociraptors. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it's ex- extremely thoughtful there. And uh Considering uh, that, that was an improvised answer, <laughs> I'm pretty impressed with myself. I'm, I, I'm impressed. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> Appreciate it. Um, next up, we got Steak Sauce there in Albuquerque in the 505. What's up, man? I got a couple uh, United questions for you. Um, I don't know if you can see my shirt, but I just adopted Newcastle United nice. as my EPL team. Um, you can you get as well as uh, boasting his Newcastle United shirt? <laughs> I just uh, I love DeAndre Yeldon, Yedlin, so I figured let's do it. Um, can you give me like a primer on what I need to know about this team as a fan? And then the New Mexico United out here led the USL in attendance last year as an expansion team. Is there a certain benchmark they need to meet or what needs to happen before they're, they can move up to the MLS? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, those benchmarks are neither sporting nor attendance. Uh, I just don't think that uh, New Mexico is a desirable enough media market, probably, just to get the like. That's unfortunately the the way which MLS operates. You think about media markets, you think about geography, um, and if there's a team in that area that's more likely to to, to get an MLS team, it would probably be Phoenix, and they're a good a good USL club as well. Um, but to answer your question about Newcastle United, unfortunately, um, I think you're in for a bit of a rough experience, at least for now. <laughs> um, they are not the most fun team to watch. Uh, probably the most defensive team in the Premier League as things stand right now uh, with Steve Bruce in charge. Now, there was kind of a moment there where you kind of felt like, well, maybe we can completely ditch this label because they were on the verge of being bought uh, by the Saudi Arabia Investment Fund uh, and that the actual government of Saudi Arabia was going to take over. Um, But for a number of reasons, uh, some of which are very wonky, uh, primarily piracy reasons, they actually uh, pirate broadcast, the state government of Saudi Arabia pirates broadcast of the Premier League. They were denied ability uh, to own that team. So you're kind of going back to the previous owner who's not very well liked at Newcastle. Um, But again, very defensive, very reactive style. Look, they comfortably stay in the Premier League. They have so much potential as a club. They're a huge club with a massive support. It's one of those one-club cities, Newcastle, um, and the fans live and die with that team. I know it's of the main rival, Sunderland, but the Netflix documentary, Sunderland Till I Die, kind of gives a perspective on just how big the support is there. Um, But you have a a couple of American connections. You mentioned DeAndre Yedlin, and I just see uh, here Mike Ryan fan account in the chat mentioned Miguel Almiron as well. Another player uh, who has American ties, having played for Atlanta United and helping them win MLS Cup. So, a couple of uh, a couple of big connections uh, to America and a club with massive potential. I just don't know if you're going to have a lot of fun in the near term with supporting them and watching them play. Defense wins championships, all right. <laughs> I mean, not you still have to score seventy five to eighty goals to win the Premier League, and I can't envision Newcastle doing that. I'm sorry. Thank you. So, Chris, here's actually kind of a follow-up to that first answer um, regarding USL uh, and Major League Soccer. Um, What would it take for MLS to consider doing promotion 
uh, for some of those top end USL clubs instead of adding in expansion clubs? A, a, an, an, inconce an inconceivable amount of money that basically no current MLS club owner would lose their revenue stream and there would be such a increase in television rights and all that that it basically is actually risk-free. The whole point of the Premier League uh, and, and every most major leagues having promotion relegations is that it's a massive risk, right? And if you said right now to the 20 Premier League owners, do you want to shut this league down? They'd say yes in an instant. Um, but the sporting structure just doesn't, it doesn't uh, advocate it. But American sports is so owner-driven uh, that I just you can't imagine Bob Kraft in charge of New England Revolution saying, yeah, you can take all my revenue streams and I'll just go down to USL for a year and have 40% of the crowd that I do now. And, you know, just because, no, it has to be for money, right? It has, there has to be, you know, huge in, incentives for the owners to do this. So uh, there is an offer from Ricardo Silva, who is the owner of Miami FC in the USL Championship, uh, to increase uh, the media rights of MLS by four times from current currently 90 million, actually more than four times to 400 million a year. If they took on promotion relegation, the idea was summarily dismissed out of hand. Um, unless Amazon comes to major league soccer and says, we'll pay you a billion dollars a year. If you institute promotion relegation, I, I, I just can't see it. It's, it's too much of a risk. And there are more leagues right now that are actually trying to take ideas from MLS than the reverse um, for example, uh, the, in the uh, lower divisions in England and uh, the third and fourth division, they're instituting a salary cap. So there's more of a move towards the reverse than uh, instituting promotion relegation. I just think given how owner driven and also FIFA don't really want to, they could theoretically enforce a rule. They have a rule on their books that says that the setup of a country's football should be based off of sporting merit. They could enforce that, but they choose not to because I know what an economic giant uh, the United States can be for FIFA. So they dare not uh, try and, and enforce them. But I just think the answer is money. And I, there just isn't enough in the game right now for owners to take that risk. Asheville is everything around me, right? Very much indeed. All right, coach, you are up next. What do you got? Hey, so I am up in Wisconsin. I'm a, I'm a baby soccer fan. I will admit I try super hard Every year I can watch like a little bit more and more and more. I promise I'll get there. But what I will say, my very much better half, Derek, he won tickets to see like this brand new FC team in Madison. Yes. It was last summer. I want to say it was their first their game was uh, in the, season. Their game was in the booth down the hall uh, tonight. They played uh, tonight against uh, Omaha. So uh, I'm really for Madison, yeah. Oh, well, that's so cool. Yeah, they it was so much fun. And I would totally recommend anybody that's like on the fence about getting into it. Going to games is so much fun. Like it doesn't even matter if you know anything. Like that was one of the most fun events I've ever been to. And so I will say all you uh, baby soccer fans out there, get out to a game. But I want to get to know you a little bit. Can I uh, rapid fire ask you a couple of questions about uh, uh, your perfect meal of steak. Perfect meal of steak. Yes. Um, so I need a cut. Yeah. Uh, so I'm a ribeye guy. Ribeye. Uh, How are you getting it done? Medium. And what is your potato? Go for mashed potato. Ooh, garlic and butter. Yeah, of course. Atta boy. Uh, vegetable. Um. Question. Uh, quite. Uh, quite like a zucchini. Ooh, I like it. 
I'm all about zucchini. Um, and then what kind of beer are you going with? Mm. Now, <laughs> this is another bone of contention uh, with my co-host <laughs> on Chelsea mic up, Mike Ryan. Uh, I quite like ciders. Um, this is uh, this is something that has been the subject of much ridicule, but I I can I I blend in. I there, there's a couple of cool breweries around here that I enjoy the uh, the beer from, but I mean I, I I can fake it. The only thing I don't do is IPAs; they're just too strong for me. But I can I can, yes. I can do anything. I totally agree with you. Um, Bush Light just came out with an apple beer. It's like a cross between a cider and beer. Um, incredible, but you can't find it anywhere because it's just like so good. So shout out Bush Light. One of my favorite cider things is uh, very bougie. Uh, it is uh, Stella Artois has a cider, but they spell oh. it D-I-D-R-E. And that's how you know it's fancy. That's the good Oh, thing. damn. Love a cidra. Love a cidra. Good old cidra. Awesome. <laughs> All right, cool. I'll have to be on the lookout for that. I'll kick it back yeah. to you, Beep. Thank you, Chris. So the one thing that you got to look for with a cider is going to be the cider with a shot of fireball with it that just kicks it up one extra notch i think i've i've had one before i'm trying to remember the scenario in which i did but i i definitely have had one before it was pretty good you know you don't you don't taste fireball as much it's like a cinnamon apple pie forgive me for bringing the chat on air but uh i I was reminded when i brought up stella artois someone mentioned artois which is artois one of for me that and and sommelier are uh, two of my favorite rejoins in, in the show. Just whenever they hand Stugat's French things to say, when they gave him Olympique Lyonnais the other day, it was just beautiful. It's, it's fantastic. Somali. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, Jeff, you are up next. Jeff. Hey, Chris, it's Jeff. Um, so it would appear that our various um, heat situation and fires out here in California are screwing with my internet a bit. So I hope I uh, stay with you through this. Um, but anyway, thanks for being with us. Um, I have two options for you for questions. One is about a challenge that I have noticed and started doing this pod that I was wondering about how you overcame it during your career. Or the other one is about the most entertaining human across all of sports. Let's go for you the pick. first one. Okay. So based um upon your introduction tonight you clearly are broadcasting at least 24 hours a day um (laughs) like at bare minimum and um so my and perhaps this is just a function of anxiety or the bladder of a goldfish but i was wondering how you overcame having to pee like during broadcasts when you know first coming up in the industry because I, we do this for an hour and a half and sometimes i have to pause and go pee so i mean yep. i can't imagine broadcasting 24 hours a day and also having to urinate at some point um so the first one so i would say that uh you definitely try and time it so that you're peeing before you do you do your thing so definitely peeing is definitely part of the pre-match routine so i I am definitely there's a lot of laughter going is there something going on in the chat there must be something funny going on in the chat um but definitely they they just think i'm an idiot look it's it's a great question i mean they got got an answer out of joe buck uh on the levitard show and they asked him about peeing in the middle of a game so i mean it definitely happens uh now thankfully 
most often I get halftime offs. Like tonight we had a couple of pre-recorded segments. So at halftime, I just ran off and used the bathroom, but look, and, and the other thing too, I don't know how much you're, you're drinking water during broadcast Jeff or during the pod, but that's another yeah. aspect of things for me where got to keep the voice fresh during the broadcast. So I, I always have a drink with me. So that obviously uh, encourages the peeing process. I've definitely had moments where, I'm doing a, a 90 minute soccer match and on 85 minutes, I really, really have to pee. Uh, you just have to power through it. Um, but yeah, I, it's a definite, like I, you know, tonight I had a game at eight and went to the bathroom at seven 48. Like I, it, you have to, otherwise, you know, you, you definitely have a problem during the match. Well, I, I appreciate your advice and encouraging words. In this you have time to get to your second question, get to your second question. Oh yeah. My second question was, um, so I'm out in LA um and or i guess orange county but everybody always says la um and uh we had zlatan out here for a couple years and my question was simply is there any objectively more entertaining human being in the history of sports uh i have found him pretty unctuous like towards the end of the run i thought he actually grew to be he he grew on my nerves a little bit i think just because you're you pay attention to him more often. You understand, but for the casual, he's amazing, right? Like for someone who's not really that into soccer, he's always going to make a headline. He's always going to have some, uh, you know, self-aggrandizing uh, thing to say. So, I, I absolutely appreciate the character that he is, and absolutely appreciate, uh, you know, what he brought to the American game for two years. Like, well worth the money, well worth the fun. But uh, I, I think because I've more intently followed his act for a longer amount of time. I, I'm kind of over it a little bit. No, that's understandable. All right. Well, appreciate it. Thank you very much. To, to do it in a more Stu like dismissal, I mean, this is lots of, please. I mean, get over yourself. It's enough already. That is an amazing Stu And for all those, because this is obviously an auto, audio medium, you are completely missing the sausage fingers waving through the screen there. That was perfectly timed. Well done. <laughs> That's all I got to say. Next up, we got John. Hey, Chris. Good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you, John. So um, let, let me just give a, or ask you a follow-up to Jeff's. I know we're pretty much done with uh, Zlatan, but um, if you had to pick, uh, and this is my question, so I'm, I'm cheating. If you had to pick um, Zlatan's uh, favorite quote of yours, what would it be? Um, I, I, I think my favorite, and I actually – had planned to use this on a commentary, but I never got around to it, um, was when he said, MLS, welcome to Zlatan, as opposed to the reverse. I just like thought that was a perfect way to frame his introduction into the league because there's no more Zlatan way to say, instead of saying, oh, you know, thanks for having me, it's no, welcome to Zlatan. Uh, so I actually, I had a line, I did a fairly early match in his tenure, and I had like a, like an MLS, welcome to Zlatan, or like, you know, opponent X, welcome to Zlatan. Uh, it is not the first time I've had a, uh, a planned call that I didn't get to use. I don't know if you guys remember the Wayne Rooney, Colleen Rooney, Rebecca Vardy story. Um, but there, So there was a story where uh, Wayne Rooney, uh, the famous soccer player for Manchester United, now of Derby County, then of DC United, um, his, uh, a lot of his life ended up in the tabloids, in one tabloid in particular in England. And so uh, Wayne Rooney's wife, did a full-on sleuthing investigation of who was taking stuff from her private Instagram and releasing it to the sun. So she basically uh, 
limited the, you know, the close friends thing on Instagram. She basically limited the, her post until one person was left. And that one person was sharing the stuff with the tabloids and ended up being the wife of Jamie Vardy, Rebecca Vardy, uh, who, and then she like posted on Twitter. I know that you've been leaking my stuff to the tabloids. It's Rebecca Vardy. And so I had this whole goal call planned where it was because like her, her, her Twitter post was this dramatic, had this dramatic conclusion. And it said, and after all that, I discovered it was Rebecca Vardy. And so I had like this whole line ready was, and after all that, DC United has its goal scorer, Wayne Rooney. And I didn't get to use it because uh, they're playing in a playoff game against Toronto FC. And uh, they, uh, he didn't end up scoring. He came off as a sub in the second half. And I was dismayed that I didn't get to use that. That was an un- completely needless and unnecessary tangent uh, for this podcast. And I apologize for being. No, no, we like, we like that type of stuff around here. Um, okay, but okay, so fuck Zlatan. Okay. Um, let's go to the next uh, question. So you've given me some good advice um, over the past couple of years that I've known you. Um, one, one in particular, when I asked you to tell me, because unlike um, um, Coach, who's a baby soccer fan, um, I don't watch soccer. So I wanted, I wanted to know what, what um, team to root for that went against Mike's team. <laughs> and so you, I believe you told me Tottenham, the Hotspurs. Is that, is that still the case? It's, it's, don't say the Hotspurs. They are Tottenham Hotspur, Tottenham. Oh, so it's, hold on. I'm writing this down. Um, so, so it's, so it's Tottenham, singular. Singular Tottenham Hotspur okay. or Tottenham or Spurs. But they're or not Spurs. the Spurs and they're not the Hotspurs. The, you have three choices. And this okay. is the singular thing that happens a lot with soccer. I'm not, no, not so fast. Not so fast. Go ahead. I'm, I'm not trying to be a snob. I'm just trying to help. So mm-hmm. Tottenham Hotspur. Okay. Tottenham or Spurs. Spurs. So. Yeah. Okay. So they could be just Spurs. Very good. Um, So uh, staying with the advice theme uh, of the question is how any advice for, for getting somebody to, to get into soccer or to watch soccer, not, not like a hater of soccer who who just complains about, Oh, they're actors. They always fall. They're flopping all that. But somebody who, who who doesn't have any real uh, disdain about it, but you know, wants to get into soccer. Right. So um, I do think picking a team helps. Um, I actually didn't grow into following English soccer by picking a team. Uh, I just I picked the Premier League. And uh, back in the day, Fox Sports Florida, which is our regional cable channel, used to run the Premier League review show. So it was like an hour and it condensed everything that happened in the Premier League that weekend into one hour. And they told the stories of the narrative before the game. And then after the game, they'd run the post-match interview. And it was basically like everything you needed to know about the Premier League in one hour. Um, NBC has a similar kind of show called Match of the Day. Um, and for me, getting to know what each team kind of represents and, and how they play and kind of the narratives is the important precursor to actually like knowing, okay, this is the team that I actually want to support. Now, I understand that like as someone who's kind of in – the the media i kind of approach it differently than fan like fans need to have a rooting interest right if you're just watching games without a purpose that doesn't make any sense but uh i i do think like kind of starting from understanding the league and then kind of break because there's so much to it there's cup competitions there's european play there's a million every country in the world has a league so it's a lot to get your head around um but focusing narrowly and then branching out i, I would say is, is probably the best way to do it 
Thanks. And if you allow me one more question, sure. um, where, where the hell is Miami going to play, uh, you know, in the long term? Or where do you think they are? So, look, so right now they play, they play in Fort Lauderdale, Lockhart Stadium, um, or the old Lockhart Stadium. Um, they want to move to a stadium that they're going to rip up a golf course and build a stadium over it. Um, that deal is still being negotiated. Uh, I don't know how much the pandemic has changed the status of those negotiations and uh, what they're going to do uh, with that whole site. I imagine the increased tax money probably is now a bit more desirable, but we just don't know. And there was a report a couple of months ago that uh, they're still a ways away from that deal being done. It's a massive deal and it made sense. It was going to take a while, but um, look, they've tried four and five different sites. Uh, It's one of those things where you probably wait until there is ink on paper announcing where they're going to be. But the one thing that I will say is yes, they're in Fort Lauderdale now and a lot of Miami based people don't like it. I don't think MLS will allow them to not continue to try and find a place in Miami just because uh, being in that market and being close to the city is ultimately where they want to be. I don't think they're going to allow Inter Miami to ever stop, even if it takes 20 years uh, to stop trying to build a stadium. Look, it took DC United that long. NYCFC is still trying. Uh, There are clubs that have definitely had prolonged searches for stadiums and uh, Inter Miami is clearly in the middle one. They've been in one for six years uh, and, and it probably will continue for a few years more. Thank you very much. I'm John. Lower after hours. Nice sign off there, John. I uh, I always appreciate uh, hearing from you. Uh, next up, I've got uh, I've got Drake. Drake, what do you got? What's going on, Chris? So I got <clears throat> I got an MLS question and a Concacaf question. So MLS, um, what uh, league overseas would you comp the MLS to, and and could they hold a uh, hold water with the second tier, um, the English Championship? Definitely, I, I definitely think they can they can be level with the championship. Uh, the one thing is that I mean, championship clubs just have more money, right? And I think ultimately the the comparison is a money based thing, and that's kind of the interesting thing about the transfer system is that it just allow you you can compare every team on the basis of how much they spend on their roster. So, um, look on the bottom end in MLS, Colorado Rapids spend ten million on their team, and on the high end, Atlanta LAFC spend somewhere in the neighborhood of thirty to thirty five. So. Um, that's about what you're looking at. To me, you're most kind of level with leagues like Belgium, leagues like the Dutch league, leagues like the Portuguese league, that a lot of their goals are to sell younger players onto bigger European clubs and then kind of give a home uh, to more experienced players on the back end of their careers as well. So I would say that's kind of most that they're in line with. Um, I, I think they would probably, you know, the best LAFC might, struggle quite a bit in the Premier League just and and it's not because they don't have good attacking players or they don't have a good style of play I just think that the roster rules prevent having complete teams right you're gonna play a college draft pick at right back that's just how the league is set up to work you have to get value in certain places from odd places and so um, that I think is just the main reason that if you allowed a club like LAFC to spend, you know, a million dollars and pay $300,000 a year for their right back, then they'd have a great chance to compete at a higher level. But uh, for now, um, because of the unnecessarily arcane roster rules, they probably couldn't compete at a level like the Premier League. But yeah, those kind of medium tier leagues around Europe, I'd say they're about commensurate with. Sure. So on the international scale, the CONCACAF, obviously the CONCACAF countries are a long way off from making serious noise in the, in a world cup. But let's say we combined the CONCACAF to be one country 
taking the top talent from each each country, what kind of run do you think that team could make in a World Cup? When I get off this call uh, later on tonight, I'm going to like do like an all CONCACAF 11 and figure out what that would look like. Um, yeah, I would say probably – so in terms of like the top-tier talented teams in the world, you got France, you got Belgium, you got Spain, you got England – um, Brazil, obviously Argentina, although I mean, I don't, I actually don't think Argentina is there anymore. Um, Brazil, probably the Colombians are up there. Um, you've got, you know, the, you know, Croatia's the world in Europe. I'd say you'd probably out of an all CONCACAF team could probably get to like the ninth best team in the world, I would say, because I mean, Mexico as it is makes the round of 16 in every world cup and then they lose there. Uh, so I think Mexico are probably one of the 16 best countries in the world at soccer, um, the U S right now in the world rankings are 22nd, despite not having qualified for the last world cup. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, you take like a Kaylor Navas from Costa Rica and you chuck him into the, into the CONCACAF team. Uh, you can find a few kind of bits and, and bits and bobs in other places. Yeah. You probably get into the top 15, I'd say. Appreciate it. Back to you, B. All right, Drake. Thank you very much. And Chris, thanks a lot. Uh, we've got just a couple more questions here. Uh, actually, you know, what? we're going to toss it here to Mike Ryan fan account. He's, he's got a quick follow-up question there. He's unmuted, but somehow his mic isn't working. Sorry. May I have okay, to plug it in. I have to plug it in. Okay, Stu. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, anyway, if you had off the top of your head, could you uh, name anyone from El Salvador or Guatemala that would make the top 11? No. That's where my mom and dad are from. <laughs> Sorry, I, I wish I had. I wish I had more for you, but no. Fair enough. That's a that's a little dead fish you threw there, Mike. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, right. Honestly, my answer was more the dead fish than the question. I I could have tried to hand him <laughs> on. Yeah, I, I I I could throw him a bone, but no, I'm sorry. All right, <laughs> all right, Barrett. Barrett, you are up next. Hey there, Chris. So I love Premier League also, but like you, I'm objective in my football viewing. But I got to admit, I do remember where I was when Leicester won it all a few years ago. I'm wondering what your experience was with that. And also, if you had to change your fingers to five condiments, but those are the last condiments you had for the rest of your life, what would they be? Uh, I'm going to hang up and listen. Okay. So first one, uh, the the question on Leicester City. I'm going to be terrible with the condiments question. I, I'm 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 already preparing you. Um, so with Leicester City, for me, my my kind of standout experience again, my my objective past is I remember they played Manchester City, and I just remember watching because it was in January. It, it, it was funny because my dad actually they won like the first three games I think of the season, and my dad was like Leicester, they can do it. I'm telling you, and. We were we all thought it was a joke. It was just kidding, and like it, it was kind of half serious, half not. Um, and so it's going on, right? You're into you're halfway through the season. It's like, well, at some point, this has to fall apart. This can't be real, and just because it's so unlikely. I mean, the five thousand to one odds are real. It's just insane that a team like Leicester won the league. Um, but when they beat Man City, they beat him three nil. And I just remember the intensity with which they played the game, like the closing down, the pressing, the defending, the counterattacking, and like. I just remember watching them be so much better than Man City on that day. It's like, oh no, they can they can win the league. And then as as you go along, and you know all of Claudio Ranieri's antics and all that, uh, there's I mean every moment of that season was amazing. I remember when they beat Manchester United at home, it was like this euphoria because Jamie Vardy was on a, a goal scoring run. There's so many uh, great moments on that. Um, all right, so my procrastinating is done here for the condiments question. Um, so 
I, I know, I know this is offensive to a lot of people. I quite like ketchup. Um, go for barbecue sauce. Um, why can't I think of condiments? Um, is, is garlic butter technically a condiment? Quite like we'll garlic. Yeah, like particularly for steaks, lo- love garlic butter. Um, it's, it's, salt is a condiment. Have to have salt, right? Um, right. Salt is more of a mineral. <laughs> a mineral. <laughs> no, salt. So, you know, salt's not a condiment, right? Because the condiment is you pair a food with the condiment. It's a sauce, right? Correct. It's got to be wet. Yeah. Yeah. Does it have to be wet? I don't. Does a condiment have to be wet? It's like a sauce. What, what is like a non a non wet? Do you have do you have dry sauce? No, but like well, there's a dry rub. It's like the little there's packets they give you at Chick Fil A. Yeah, but okay, but the packet is not the condiment. the The contents of the condiment. That's uh, a really good question. Does a condiment have to be wet? Would <laughs> be an example of a non wet condiment. I guess would be the question. Give me a moment. Like I thought of like horseradish is kind of dry ish. Wasabi. Uh, oh, in in that realm, soy sauce. Love soy sauce. So I'd throw that in there. Um, and then teriyaki sauce. Right. That works. I, I've definitely forgotten something that I'm going to regret. Hate mayo. Hate mayo. Whoa. Yeah. Mayo, aggressively bad. Um, I love the, uh, the mustard you get at Benihana. Not yum yum sauce. Because I know yum yum sauce has gotten a lot of praise. I don't like yum yum sauce. I do like the mustard that I don't know like what the difference is. Love the mustard they give you at Benihana, but um, yeah, I've probably forgotten others that are that'll be vitally important to me at some point. But that's what I've gone for. Is it like that's a awesome. yellowish mustard? I have to know. I have to know. I'm sorry, guys. I gotta know. Uh, yeah, it's like a, I don't even know. I, I just know it as Benihana mustard. I don't even know how to describe it. Go to go to a Benihana and ask for the mustard, and and you'll know what I'm talking about. It's a bit a bit of spicy mustard, bit of um, it's definitely a spicy mustard. Okay, as long as we're not like basic ass yellow, I'm good. It is not. Cool. Uh, Chris, I just want to check with you here. Uh, we're right at about an hour. Do you have time for a couple more questions with us? I think I'm alone in the building in which I work tonight. So, I mean, I think I'm okay. I hope I don't sound the alarm when I leave, um, but I'm, I'm good to go. We're that's good. Yes. So, yeah, that, that, that's definitely a yes. John, uh, j- jump in there. Okay, great. Um, so, you grew up down here, right? Excellent. How did you get away with not, not getting the Miami accent or did you, did you work on it? Did you, I hear it now that I'm doing this pod and, and I can't stand it. Um, yeah. How did how did you get away with it? Cause I've been listening to you on the radio for a long time and, and yeah. um, I didn't know you were from down here. I didn't even know you knew you, you spoke Spanish until yeah. a couple of years ago. So, uh, so um, part of that, I mean, I, I grew up in, I grew up in Pembroke Pines mostly. So, like I didn't grow up in Miami proper. Um, the other thing too was um, I actually had difficulties as a young kid with two languages. So uh, my school kind of advised to my parents that we kind of only speak English at home. So I just don't have that Spanish married with English and you're constantly going back and forth. I think that's where the Miami accent is born is just constantly going back and forth between Spanish and English that sometimes the words mix, sometimes the accents mix. Um, but I've, I've kind of been able to, I mean, later in life, my Spanish has gotten better. I won't say that it's good. Um, but I think I was kind of in my younger years. So focused on, it's so focused on English that, uh, I never kind of developed that accent, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I know, I know for like, I definitely hear it, uh, in, in others, but I was just kind of lucky to avoid it, I guess. No, Isol. 
no ESOL. No, it was uh, it was just kind of uh, just pick one and go with it, um, and uh, and was able to figure it out. Thanks, Drake. Back to you. Hey man, so obviously you guys, um, you and Mike being kind of the U.S. ambassadors for Chelsea, um, that's a pretty big deal. Um, how? What's kind of the origin on on how they reached out to you? Did Mike contact them? Um, kind of where did that start and take off from? Yeah, so the origin story on that was uh, Mike, uh, his, uh, his friend Ibrahim and I, we went on a trip uh, together to the UK uh, to go and watch a bunch of games. The, the, the biggest or the busiest time for football in the UK uh, is the holiday period, actually. So uh, we left on Christmas night, got in on what's called Boxing Day, the day after Christmas there, uh, went to two games. In the end, over the course of nine days, went to eight different games. So while we were there, um, just kind of taking in as many games, as many cities and places as possible, um, Christian Pulisic was signed by Chelsea. And uh, I remember like waking up like in the, you know, it was January 2nd. No, it was, no, it was New Year's Day. Um, and we had gone out until like three in the morning the night before for New Year's Eve. So I was in like this foggy haze. And uh, <laughs> I woke up to Mike in our Airbnb playing I'm a Real American by the, the Hulk Hogan entrance music. And he was so, you know, put on his Chelsea shirt. He was so hyped for Pulisic and he was tweeting about it nonstop. And there is, there is a, a Twitter account called Chelsea FC in USA. It's kind of Chelsea content aimed towards Americans. And I guess they saw him going crazy. They saw, you know, probably all the Twitter followers. So he sent a message to him saying, can you record a message welcoming Pulisic? You're there at the stadium. And so we ended up, um, uh, going to like a pub near the stadium and we filmed the message there. It was on the night of a game. Chelsea were playing Southampton at home. And so he filmed this message and all that. And from there, the club hired him as an ambassador, mostly to do video stuff. But they were kind of like aiming to build like a show kind of thing. It was originally, the idea was a video show uh, that I was going to help him with too. And then it turned into a podcast. Uh, and then once they asked him to do a podcast, given his extensive workload with Levitard and friends, he was like, I kind of need someone involved that obviously can do the show with me that knows a lot about soccer and can kind of handle production stuff and working with the club on details and stuff like that. So um, in the end uh, he, he asked me to, to be involved and we do the podcast together. Now it's kind of grown into, as you said, like, you know, we went to Miami fan fest with the club and we're on, we're on TV together uh, you know, kind of promoting the podcast. We've been to London once and uh, we hope at some point to be able to go again um it's been this incredible experience i'm not even a chelsea fan but i kind of uh ended up um in a place where i kind of root for chelsea as a, as a means of professional success but it's been a pretty wild experience very cool thanks man all right chris i've got a champions league question for you very very quickly here uh before we get you out of here i need a prediction who's winning what's the score I will go for Bayern Munich 3, Paris Saint-Germain 2. Um, I think that there will be a ton of goals in the game. I wouldn't even be surprised if Paris Saint-Germain scored first, but I would definitely like, just start with Bayern Munich with 3. I think that's kind of like the, the mode of this Champions League so far is that they're just ruthless in front of goal. That, that front four is just amazing. Perisic and Lewandowski and Gnabry um, and Thomas Muller. They just work so well off each other. They're going to get goals. Um, the question is, is can Paris Saint-Germain keep up with them and take it because they will have chances, like I said earlier. Um, but I think, uh, I think PSG or I think Bayern Munich get the job done and 
look, this is a competition that's generally won by the Giants that have won it before. Um, I don't think a team like Paris Saint-Germain, like, I just don't think they're well run enough. Like they're not a big enough club for me yet. I know they spend, they have these incredible players, but like management situations, weird. Some of the players that they start are like not win a champions league quality. I just think like the fair thing and like the just thing would be for Bayern Munich to win this competition, but single elimination, it's been the, it's been this way the whole tournament. So I guess it wouldn't be a huge shock if Paris Saint-Germain went and won it, but uh, I, I, w- I would tip Byron to win by three goals to two. And a quick follow-up. I did see something out there that was for entertainment purposes only that Byron would not need any extra time throughout the entire tournament to win. It was something like plus 1,200 or something like that. Do they finish it in regular time or do it, does it go to extra time? I think it finishes in regular time. I don't I think you'll win on those entertainment purposes. Is, is that why you mentioned that stat earlier? Because you've been tracking that. I was tracking actually, I was a little excited early on in the Bayern Leon match today because I had uh, a few quid, as they might say, on Leon to win the tournament at a hundred to one. And you know, you have a hundred to one ticket in the semifinal. It's like, all right, let's go. But um, if, if Leon had scored early, I would have been really excited, but unfortunately uh, they, they ended up losing, but is, is that, is that why you were keenly observing, uh, games not going into extra time? Man, maybe perhaps. Yes. Maybe <laughs> you tell yes, me, maybe no. Yes. Maybe no. Speaking of check out. Yes. Maybe no on Apple podcasts and Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, we are going to finish it up here with Lou, Lou and sales. All right. Hey, Chris, how's it going? This is uh, Lou at Sugas army seven ninety. I'm probably going to freeze. Did I freeze? This, this happens always at the end. My video won't freeze at all. And then right when I go to the end, um, I freeze up, but That's what um, you said. yeah, it is. Um, I think it was really great having you on. Like you're the type of old school, like Levitard fan, like some of us people that have been around the show, like, but the earlier stuff, like you get these stories and like really great hearing these things, but we do something I think pretty cool on the Lauer after hours is that, um, I was out and about and I was making you a, uh, a custom hat with a, some neutral colors that say uh, natural observer on it. It's so cool. Neutral. Neutral observer. Neutral. Wow. That's amazing. So um, get with what? No, I said, thank you. That, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah. So if you want to get with, uh, I think be if be uh, booked, you get the address and we'll figure something out and we'll get this, this custom hat out to you. Oh yeah. I'd love that Lou. Thanks. Yeah, uh, Chris, I will reach out to you here after we wrap things up, and and we'll get that shipped out for you, man. Uh, yeah, I mean that I I will like I'm always looking for like a a neutrally colored hat just to kind of like throw on when I don't want to like you know gel up my hair or anything. So yeah, I will definitely be wearing that. It's like a neutral. There's no logo on it. Like it's perfect. I love it. John, go ahead. For Miami, uh, for Miami listeners, uh, chongas, yes or no? <laughs> no. Fraud. All right, that is going to wrap it up here tonight on Lauer After Hours. Thank you very, very much, Chris, for your time this evening. You were amazing. Loved all the soccer, football, football talk from you. Uh, Thank you so very, very much, Uh, Chris. I don't know if we can offer you any more thanks. Let's uh, let's give uh, Chris a big uh, thank you, Chris, here on the count of three. One, two, three. Thank you, Chelsea. Go Guatemala. I don't actually soccer.
Very much appreciated the conversation this evening. The Nigel. cracking flower after hours. Hopefully, after this evening, you will have absolutely fallen in love with the sport of football and have come to appreciate it. Hope it didn't annoy the audience too much either with my shite football talk or this terrible accent. It's not terrible. It's it's actually right. On, it's on point where I'm at. Oh, oh, a bit of Scottish there as well. Just a little bit of that, but it's like. It's not. It's not like overly Scottish. It's just like the perfect amount. That's like it's. It's just a keen. It's a keen accent. There. It's yeah. more of like Dalek than anything. Fair enough, mate. Fair enough. I quite like that. To be fair. Aye. All right, Chris. Thanks a lot, man. Right, appreciate- enough, really Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Chris. All right. See you guys. Bye. Good night. Hey, brother. Ooh. That was solid for an all sports Dude. Yeah. talk. That was really good. So I told you guys before that uh like I don't get nervous talking to people. Like getting into this, I was shaking like a freaking leaf. It was ridiculous. Well just look at him. Well the hosting the hosting part is is, is tough, man. I mean I, I I wouldn't want to do it. You did great though. Really yeah, did. that first Thank bit actually much. talking soccer with him, that was solid. Oh, you're talking about <laughs> Bear and I are like, what the fuck? <laughs> you did very uh, good. Can I also say, sneaky meal. Not necessarily a dish, but a meal. <laughs> sneaky. Ooh, I like it. You should see him in per- You should see him in person. What he does with his hair is quite phenomenal. I don't know what he uses. Maybe he uses the butt paste, but it's um that that uh, who who who's yeah. You should ask him that. I should have. Listen, I have lists and lists of questions to ask him. Oh, but, I didn't, but I didn't want to be that guy. Oh, you you were ready to fill oh, up. Be that guy. Come on. All right, I gotta go to bed. Bye. Yeah, I gotta.